Welcome back to another episode of the Mayor of Patricia podcast. This week I am speaking with a person who I really look up to, Richard Nichols. Richard Nichols has his own podcast out and he is a hypnotherapist and author of the book 15 Minutes to Happiness. Richard has had a profound impact on my own life as whenever I first got into personal development he is the one person that I always went to because his podcasts are great and he really does share great strategies that we can do to you know live happier and healthier you're going to really enjoy listening to him. If you'd like to start Richard with telling people a little bit about yourself I already know that you've created lots of great podcasts and you have a book out but maybe for the listeners you want to give us a speech? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, going to the, the basics of who I am and what I do, I'm a hypnopsychotherapist, which is a psychotherapist who likes to play around with hypnosis, which does, um, which, which is quite nice. It sort of gives something different to psychotherapy because psychotherapy can be a little bit uh, daunting for a lot of people, mm-hmm. digging up the past and things. So it's quite nice to have a bit of a chill out sometimes in, in some of the sessions. Um, so as, as well as a hypnopsychotherapist, I wrote a book, 15 Minutes to Happiness, which is available in all good bookshops, folks. <laughs> and I have um, my podcast, of course, the Richard Nichols podcast, which is all about mental health and personal development and all the bits and bobs that are in between. Brilliant. So um, what is your big 15 minutes of happiness? Do you give people a prescription of how to be happy in 15 minutes? Richard, <clears> I... <throat> have it in my audible so I'm going to listen to it next I have it downloaded and ready to go yeah you do it's brilliant oh I'm quite a fan um (laughs) the idea of 15 minutes comes out of the fact that my podcasts seem to be around 15 minutes long and so people really if they were longer than 15 minutes they didn't listen if the podcasts episodes sort of fell into the 20 minute mark it got fewer and fewer downloads and I thought okay so this is clearly our attention span (laughs) And all the, all the popular episodes um, were related to something to do with happiness, something to do with how to be happy. So I thought, clearly this is an issue, that this is a popular issue, but everybody's got a 15-minute span of, of attention. So can I package all my ideas and concepts and theories and things? And they're not just mine. These are things that have been going on in research for decades, decades and decades in some cases. Can I package some of those things into 15 minutes in each one of them? And with a bit of a squeeze, yeah, absolutely we can. Things like being more grateful, being more appreciative, taking time out for yourself, doing exercise, things like that. There are many of the different components to what traditionally happy people do in their life. We can squeeze these things into 15 minutes and we've all got at least one lump of 15 minutes in our day somewhere to be able to do something and so that's where the that's where the book came from it's just been translated into Czechoslovakian I've got a couple of um, copies hardback copies sent to me in Czech which is bizarre you can't read any of it and uh, it's just been uh, doing it's out in Poland now came out last month Um, next I think is Vietnam it's been translated into Vietnamese I guess people need to be happy all around the world. And if we've all got this 15-minute attention span, <laughs> that's, that's what we need to play with. Absolutely. Richard, how do you like manage your time of working, um, giving one-to-one consultations, working on your podcast and your book? Like, how do you manage all your projects while being happy? Well, it, it comes down to 
there's an element of flexibility to it, but it, it, to me, what helps me is being specific that says, this is what I do on a Monday. This is what I do on a Tuesday. This is what I do on a Wednesday. My, my clients, my face-to-face -face clients know what to expect, that I'm in one particular clinic on a Monday. If they need to see me in that clinic, they know it's going to be a Monday, the appointment's going to be. Same for my Tuesday clinic, same for my Thursday clinic. And my online clients I see on Wednesdays and Fridays. And in that, in between the, the clients I see online, I, uh, that's when I play with my podcasts. That's when I get my microphone out and, and start making notes about what I'm going to do next, which I've been doing um, today, actually making notes for an episode on Monday. Because it's the first of the month and a new episode has just come out. So I left my microphone out ready, for, uh, ready to speak to you, oh. which is nice yeah um richard that's another question i was going to ask you like how do you find your inspiration and motivation for your podcast topics well it comes from a mixture of either my clients or podcast listeners they send me questions they send me their problems i mean i'm not an agony aunt or anything like that i'm not anybody's aunt to be fair <laughs> um, they send me their problems and say this is what's going on in my life i'd, I'd love to hear your perspective on it and a lot of things boil down to some similar topics, either about sometimes self-esteem or confidence or anxiety. They're common themes. Even when somebody is talking about something that seems unrelated, when you play around with the way that they think and feel about that particular issue, if you play with it for just a couple of moments, it soon becomes, oh, it's because I don't value myself. It's because I see everybody else as more important than me. And it boils down to self-esteem, so we do something on self-esteem. And throughout my, I mean, I'm, I'm, what episode am I up to at the minute? 167, I think? So I've been doing this for wow. years. Although the first 50-odd have, <laughs> have sort of been deleted and in a hard drive crash. <laughs> so <laughs> you don't have enough anymore, no? No, no. Those first, um, the first sort of 50 episodes, I mean, the first, I think, 12 or 24 were actually part of a group therapy session that was a private thing that I did in one of my clinics, which I'd never released to the public anyway. It was just yeah. for those few people. And that's where the podcast came from. Sitting down with these people in this sort of weight loss group or this self-help group that I was running at the time back in 2010, I think it was, 2009. The things that they were saying, which started off as being just a weight loss help group, an exercise group, really, yeah. soon became more about the emotional side of why have, why have I not been able to lose weight on my own? Why do I feel I need some help? What's, what's, what's different about me compared to my sister who can do this by herself? Well, she's in a happy marriage, you're not. Let's deal with that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and so the podcast came from there, really. And um, listeners will send me questions. My clients will say stuff that I think, I think other people need to hear this story to a degree i mean i don't talk about my clients on the podcast i'm not ethically allowed but i will ask a client and say i think other people need to know elements of this story is it okay for me to share some of it and, and i explain how i do that i'll make it completely anonymous or i even <laughs> i mean the secret's out now but i sometimes say oh, i had a friend once who <laughs> and then i just talk about that client but in a in a way that changes their sex or changes some of the situation but keeps the 
the story behind it the same and sometimes they don't even recognize themselves when they hear the podcast i say thanks for letting me share that and they went i didn't know you did yeah. oh was that that bloke you were talking about yes it was you oh i didn't realize <laughs> um so i love there's a lot of metaphor maybe in 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 therapy sometimes um uh, there's a famous famous uh, psychiatrist in the 60s and 70s called milton erickson who would often talk about his friend John, if a client was stuck with something, he'd say, because we're not allowed to give advice. As therapists, that's not what we do, not at all. We're there to help a client figure out their own life. Mm -hmm. So Erickson would say, you know, this reminds me of my friend John. And my friend John, who, and then he'd start talking about the client, <laughs> who's sitting there right in front of them and, 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 and say, my, John, my friend John had a sort of a crossroads in his life where he didn't know which way to go. And he contemplated the two decisions he had to make and decided that the benefits of this were this and the benefits of that were that. And I'm not quite sure what he decided. What do you think he should have done? <laughs> and, and they go, oh, I think I know what I need to do in my life now. And then they, you know, they realise that they're gay or something like that. It's, that would be quite an unusual experience for a lot of people. And to translate that into a podcast is unique to say the least <laughs> yeah Richard I think that like as humans we love listening to stories rather than be given advice and like what I love about your podcast is that you do just have so many little stories that people can relate to and you remember stories more than you would advice I think yes yeah absolutely that's where every fable comes from the boy who cried wolf you know that sticks in people's heads that, you know, I shouldn't really go too far with my exaggeration. But if you say to somebody, <coughs> excuse me, if you say to somebody, oh, you know, don't tell lies, it'll only backfire in the end. But no, yeah, they'll still carry on doing their exaggerating and lies. But if you tell this kid, usually work, metaphors and stories work very well with children. Mm -hmm. You tell them the story of the boy who cried wolf. And, and it opens up this little thing in, in their head because they figured it out for themselves. If you tell somebody what to do, it doesn't become learned. Mm. It doesn't become part of them. But if they figure it out for themselves, and, and then we're down to the stories and metaphors there of you give a man a fish, he's got a meal for a day. Teach a man to fish, he's got a meal for life. Yeah. Because if you teach somebody how to figure things out for themselves and you don't stand over them on their computer and go, click here, click there, click this. Yep, I've done it, but I don't know how. But if you let them figure it out for themselves, mm -hmm. then it's sticks sticks in their head and that's the same whether they're learning to use a piece of software or they're learning to be happy you can't say to somebody although i guess that's what my book and podcast is kind of about this is what you need to do this is what you should do be more grateful smile more exercise more be thankful for the things you've got and enjoy the food you have and be more mindful you can tell them that but it has to be told in a way that they can relate to it that they can say yeah this is my story and figure it out for themselves and then they don't even know that they've been given any advice because we haven't given them any advice uh, a friend of mine it was genuinely a friend not a client actually many 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 years ago um she was unsure what to do in a relationship should she continue with the boyfriend should she leave him should she go with this other guy who was sort of on the periphery of things and showing his interest and I, I mean, I was training at the time, training to be a therapist back in the late 90s, this was. And I must have said something on the lines of, well, I think deep down a part of you knows what's right for you. Your heart might say one thing, your brain says another, but I think deep down you probably know what's fair. She said, I, I can't believe you. you know, you're telling me to have an affair. <laughs> 
oh, I didn't say that. <laughs> but clearly your, your heart says that's what you, you want to do because you're clearly enjoying that. And it was then that made me realise, okay, you've got to be careful what you, what, what you do with language because yeah. people will think that that's about me. He's talking about me. And I'm not. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. I mean, podcast listeners will listen and say, it's like you read my diary. This is fantastic. Yeah, that's what I think. to be generic, really, because deep down, we all have some of those same insecurities, the same worries and fears about what other people think. And we all do dwell on our past a little bit and the mistakes we made 20 years ago and silly stuff that means nothing, but it still keeps us awake at night. And we all need to have that little bit of clarity over our life and over our thoughts a lot of things about thoughts and feelings mm -hmm. handling those two things handling the way that we think and handling the way that we feel if we can get those two things down and we, we're going to be in a much better place to then do whatever it is that our um our interests sort of draw us to so we will play the guitar or we will join a choir or whatever but it, but we need our self-esteem and our thoughts and feelings to be sorted out first and Richard, even though like you are fully aware of like um, how to have good mental health and be happy, do you ever still have like discomfortable feelings that arise? And if so, how do you deal with them? Yeah, everybody's human. And I think um, it's a surprise when I'm quite honest with some of my clients and with, with my podcast listeners from time to time when it's appropriate and let them know that Sometimes I get nervous. Sometimes I get really scared. Sometimes I mess up, big style. I mean, on the podcast, I'll talk about my wife and my son sometimes, every now and again. And well, they don't listen. They stop listening after about episode five when <laughs> interested years ago. And, and people will contact me and say, thank you for being honest and letting me know that you make mistakes, in inverted, in, you know, in, in inverted commas, as well. Because we do. When my son was little, I did shout at him. Uh, I did get overly cross and overly angry and then have to apologise and go, sorry, mate, you're only five. What am I doing shouting at you? <laughs> I know it's not your fault. <laughs> you, you haven't got as much patience and you're running a bit late. But yeah, you could do me cleaning your teeth, mate. You could do me getting your shoes on, but I shouldn't have shouted. And it's him sometimes that has come to me and apologised. And I remember that vividly. He must have been preschools, four years old. And I'm shouting at him to get his shoes on. And, Come on, mate, you've got to clean your teeth. We've got to get to school, blah, 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 blah. And my wife, who's a PA in an automotive engineering firm, is the one that comes down the stairs and says, you, go in that room. You, go into that room. Calm down for two minutes and then come back and sort this out, will you? And my son <laughs> goes into one room and I go into the other and go, oh, I've been told off. And then he comes into me and says, sorry, Dad, I should have cleaned my teeth. I'm like, mate, you're four. I'm the one that's sorry for shouting because it's okay. It's fine. Sorry for shouting. Shouldn't have got angry. Well, I shouldn't have made you angry. No, mate, that's not how it is. We all make those sorts of mistakes. Every parent. I messed up my wife's 40th birthday. Right, rotten. Royally rotten. There's an entire chapter in the book about that. <laughs> and it was awful. Absolutely messed it up. But I'll tell you something. She's not going to be listening to this, fortunately. We've never had a better relationship since because it cleared the air when I wanted to be perfect. I wanted to be the best husband ever. I never wanted her to be able to sit around a table in a pub with her friends and say, you know, Richard can be a right... Mm. I never wanted any of that. I heard that from her friends in the past and thought, God, is that what she might say about me when I'm not around? God, I need to be perfect. 
and this goes back to 15 years, maybe longer than that, actually, probably 20 years when we first met. And all these years later, I'm trying to make her birthday perfect. And of course, I messed it up because in me constantly saying, what do you want for your birthday? What do you want for your birthday? What she wanted was for me to leave her alone and choose something for her so that she didn't have to decide. She shouldn't have to decide what she has for her birthday. That should be my decision to say, this is what I'm getting you. Mm -hmm. But it went on and on and on. And literally her 40th birthday, she got nothing, not a thing. Just a card with a soppy poem in it that I wrote because I had not bought her anything, not even a box of chocolates, nothing. And she was gutted and I was gutted, but it was all because the closer it got to her birthday and we've got some event, we were going to Edinburgh and I'm saying, okay, well, when we go, we can go shopping. Me and you will go shopping. So I didn't come here to go shopping. I'm coming here for a, a week away. Well, I need to, I need to buy you something for your birthday. I don't want anything. Oh yeah. People, no, that's not true. <laughs> All these men that are listening. When a woman says she doesn't want anything for her birthday, she lies. They do. <laughs> they do. Yeah. And after 22 years of knowing my wife, surely I knew that. But in trying to make it perfect, she got nothing and it stuffed it up. But in sitting down and saying, I just want to be perfect, and for her to go, oh, that being, being perfect means I can put up with you despite your imperfections. And that's what a good marriage is based on, Richard. Come on, you're a therapist, you know that. So, yeah, we all suffer with all sorts of different issues. And I get anxiety, I get nervous. I do, I'm involved in, in drama. I, I work in, in amateur dramatics. I love being the centre of attention, I'm quite happy with that. And of course I get nervous, of course I get panicky. I stand there behind the curtain, listening, I'm in the black, and the audience are coming in and they're sitting in their chairs and I'm standing behind the curtain going, oh God. And all my friends are standing next to me holding their stomachs going, Richard, why do we do this? I feel, too, I feel <laughs> dreadful. I should, I should have gone to the toilet. I need a wee. I said, no, you don't. This is just nerves. It's just, put oh, my heart rate. I'm going to have a heart attack. I feel the same, but I'm used to it now. So I don't fear it anymore. And I think one of the reasons why anxiety is such a big issue for people is because when somebody gets anxious, even just a little bit, and if they fear that feeling and they don't like or embrace that feeling which is hard to embrace really but if they've not practiced that then they'll go oh god here we go again i've got this feeling and i hate this feeling and that feeling is anxiety but they're anxious about being anxious which then makes them anxious all the more and sometimes there is nothing to be anxious about there's nothing worse than somebody who has anxiety and they might say to their friend or their family member oh, i'm quite anxious today and they go what about that's not what anxiety is. There isn't anything in particular. I'm just anxious. <laughs> but they're usually, when we play with it, anxious about being anxious. Mm -hmm. And if you're anxious about being anxious, then you're anxious. And it just goes round and round and round and round. And the way I deal with it is to accept it, mm -hmm. to almost embrace it to a degree, to allow the anxiety to be controllable. So it produces adrenaline. It keeps me sharp. It keeps me focused but I can still regain and retain control over my body, for example. Mm -hmm. So even though I'm nervous, I'm standing in front of an audience doing a presentation or, or I'm doing a, a speech in a play or something like that, my heart is pounding, but I have to deliberately slow my voice down to make sure that the audience can hear me clearly because I'm quite a fast, bouncy sort of tigger 
sort of character. I'm very bouncy and bubbly, so I speak quite quickly. And I know that I sometimes have to deliberately slow myself down, let my body relax, let my shoulders slump a little bit, and breathe. Nothing better than getting oxygen into your blood by taking a deep breath in, holding it for a moment, and then letting go slowly. Now, with practice, that out-breath becomes words that you might need to say in the moment. Or it's projecting, in my case, in the theatre, it's projecting it to the back of the auditorium that I'm, I take a deep breath in while I'm about to say something. And on that out-breath, then I can project my voice to the back of the auditorium and it's bouncing off the wall back there. And, and that's the same whether I'm taking an iron back to Argos or stuck in traffic which can be quite frustrating because all emotion is based around the fight or flight response it's all based around anxiety it's just that we give it labels we give our feelings names we can call it impatience boredom jealousy envy whatever we want to call it this is a word but the feelings in the body are all the same where the brain says my expectations have not been met for example and here's a feeling to help you prepare for that in case it is a saber-toothed tiger that's in the bushes. And so it churns up your stomach and it increases the heart rate and it makes you hot and sweaty and makes you tense, tense up your muscles. Mm -hmm. And if you just take a few deep breaths, whether you're stuck in traffic or you're dealing with a difficult confrontation with your boss at work, being able to control your heart rate, slowing things down so you can then get your point across maybe in a comfortable, more confident way, gives you more confidence in your abilities to handle emotion which is quite useful i hope that answers the question i've got to go off on many tangents that, is, that is brilliant richard so um for instance myself i am like quite a sensitive person so if someone <laughs> says something that annoys me often i let my emotions get the better of me and sometimes i find it really hard to hold back like tears is your uh, advice the same as that like just take a deep breath in oh yeah very much yes i mean we never really know why our eyes leak water <laughs> when we that. get emotional. There's lots of theories, some of it based around evolutionary psychology and how it's a way that before we had language that we could communicate. And so this is demonstrating that I'm not feeling quite right. There's something not right. I, I'm something going on in my life. And our eyes just leak water because of it. And whether we're frustrated or angry or, or hurt sometimes water will you know tears will spring into our eyes and sometimes even not just spring but sprout and squirt yeah and <laughs> we'll, we'll cry our water will leak down our cheeks and we look at our boss for example that crops up a lot i hear that a lot from people where they'll they'll be intimidated by somebody or they'll be rejected or something like that even if it's just a slight rejection of oh I wonder if you could do this again because you know, this isn't quite up to your normal standard. <gasps> oh God! And water springs into the face. You know, it's, it's strange and it's hard to accept. But the thing is, if we begin to hardwire in this association that when I feel this way, this is what happens, and it's easier the next time for it to happen again, and then it's easier and easier and easier. And actually, I guess it becomes a skill to cry whenever, we, whenever we're slightly emotional. So the best way to do that is to learn with patience and time and practice how to handle that emotion. And that certainly does help, taking a few deep breaths before you then react. 
And if yes, you take a few deep breaths, but you still cry a little, you're still water, you know, tears even roll down your face, fine. But if you can practice being okay with that and not judging yourself over it, even if other people might, I mean, some people might, certainly in business, but if you don't judge yourself because you can accept, oh, this is just something that happens to me, I need to be okay with this, mm-hmm. it's going to be a little bit easier the next time. doesn't matter if it's 1% easier, it just delays how long it takes before we start to get so upset that we cry. And that gets longer and longer and longer and longer from one second to two seconds to 10 seconds to a minute before actually, yeah, I feel the emotion, but it doesn't make me cry anymore. But yeah, it takes experience and it takes practice. And it takes that little bit of getting rid of self-judgment of being okay that this is just something that I do. If we were five years old, we wouldn't judge ourselves over it. Mm-hmm. Nobody would judge us, hopefully. Maybe some people would, sometimes, um, sometimes boys, as, you, as I'm sure you're aware, constantly brought up in society, you know, boys don't cry. Yeah. Don't do that. Boys don't cry, man up. And I still hear that now in adults and think, oh, you know, are we any further forward than we were 40 years ago? Men do cry. Of course they do. Mm-hmm. It would be strange if we didn't. Yeah. But if we can accept that we are emotional, that we're human, and there's nothing wrong with that, it's much easier to be able to give things a better label that says rather than just I'm feeling bad I'm, I'm, and then it becomes anger, well, it either becomes, well, there's a reason why it's called a fight or flight response because either it becomes anger that makes us fight or it makes us feel as if we're trapped and we need to run away. I've got to get away, I've got to get away, I've got to get away. Sometimes you can sit in the, on the middle lane of a motorway, look to your left, and there's somebody in tears in the, hard sh- in, the, in the left-hand lane. Look to your right, and there's some idiot with his hand on the horn shouting out of the window offensive swear-, swear words. But they're both feeling exactly the same. They're feeling the same emotion. It's just that they're handling it in different ways. One wants to fight, and one wants to flee. And how we deal with that and give it a better label, when we go, okay, my self-esteem has been hurt here. My sense of value is being hurt, but I'm not going to let the outside world influence that because it's only the way that I react to the outside world that does that. But that might take a couple of seconds. It might, take, it might, take, it might even take a minute. It might even take an hour, even if you're brand new at the idea of regulating your emotions. But everything you practice becomes second nature. Everything from playing the guitar to learning to differentiate jealousy from anger. For example so Richard do you think like it would be good if we like visualize the way we want to react better in the future and then try and think of that or <clears throat> the brain doesn't know the difference between facts and fiction so it's certainly worth having an idea in your mind about the sort of person you want to be yes absolutely definitely all the research shows that just thinking about something fires off the same electrical impulses or the neurons in the brain get fired off in exactly the same way, which is why if you watch You've Been Framed and somebody falls over, it makes you go, oh, ow, I felt that. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel it. It's a bloke on the telly. You know, we didn't feel it. Yeah. I don't get these letters anymore because my son's at, at uh, high school now, but when he was at his first school, when he was at primary school, we get all these letters regularly. Dear parent or guardian, Please be advised, there's a case of head lice in your child's class. Can everybody please check their children's hair? And I've not even got any hair. I haven't had any for about 20 years. And I start to itch. I never had head lice. I don't know what a head lice feels like, but I can imagine it. 
and it doesn't take much for my brain to go and start to make me itch. I mean, I'm getting itchy now just talking about it. And there might be people listening now going, oh, I've got an itch. <laughs> All because of suggestion, the power of suggestion. That's one of the reasons why I specialise in hypnosis, because suggestion is so powerful. But it doesn't need to be much of a suggestion just to have an idea in our mind of, well, this is the kind of reaction I'll prefer. The next time that comes up, this is how I want to speak. This is how, how I want to breathe. This is how I want to hold my body, my shoulders and, and everything. But the problems occur when, when we're not careful, we do the exact opposite. What we do is focus on the things we don't want. Mm. We think about the way we don't want to be. We think about the crying or the emotion or the fear or the panic. And it's that that we remember from the last time and we predict it's going to happen the next time too because the brain has only got one place to go when you try to think about your future and that's the past that's the only place it's got everything else has just got to be fictitious so whenever our, whenever our unconscious if you can think of it as such is ticking around in the background of our mind that says what's going to happen next all it's going to do is think about well what happened last time this happened and predict the same thing to happen again and we need to make sure that when we do think about the future and what we do want to see happen it is about the way we do want it to happen, not, well, I, I tell you what I don't want to see happen, it's this. Mm -hmm. And all that does is just reinforce this feeling that it's going to happen again. But it, we do make the mistake. So many people make that mistake. When, they, when I say, well, what are, you, what are your goals for therapy, for example? And they go, well, <coughs> what I've been trying to do these last couple of months is not get angry or not bite my nails or not drink alcohol or whatever we go okay well let's move away the things you don't want to do and let's look at what you do so what you do want is instead of not drink alcohol it's to only drink if you're thirsty and if you're not thirsty you don't need to drink maybe you get a glass of water and every night at half past eight you know have a cup of tea every night at nine for example if that's what you do want then that's that become that should become your focus mm -hmm. when it comes to biting the nails well, what do you want well i want nicer nails i want them to grow Okay, well, that's where the focus should be, letting them grow. And if it's, what was the first one I said? Uh, biting nails, drinking alcohol, not being angry. Yeah, I don't want to be angry. Well, what do you want? Well, I want to be calm. Okay, well, that's what you need to practice. And that's where your thoughts are. Thoughts need to be on how to be physically and psychologically calm. But it takes a little bit of practice. Richard, do you think it's important for us to have goals? Absolutely, yeah. Goals are invaluable. If we don't know where we want to be, then we can't plan that journey in between that takes us to it. So having a big goal is great, as long as we also separate that down into smaller goals. So if what we want, for example, is to become fitter, become healthier, drop a dress size, then we look at the steps in between that take us to it, which might be lose an inch, lose half a pound, you know, we look at those steps in between. So although we have an awareness of the end result, what's more important is to focus on those steps in between. That's really good. I think it's a good way to distract ourselves from any like, you know, self-sabotaging behaviours from the past, like have a vision in mind to work towards. Absolutely. Richard, what is your personal mission and do you think it changes over time? Yeah, I think if we... If we, if we keep the same, what you might think of as a, a personal statement or a mission statement, if we keep that the same all our life, 
then we can get stuck in a rut if we're not careful. Somebody's values might be different from one decade to the next. Mm -hmm. But if we, if we have something that is part of our values, which could be, not sure, not quite sure what it would be in my case, I guess it would be to reach the masses. Somebody said something to me recently when we were talking about one of the clinics I work in, uh, a friend who runs the clinic, and he said, what is it you want from, from the clinic here? I went, well, this is what I want. But actually what I want more is to reach the masses. I want to be able to help more, and that has to be done in a different way. And so we're working out a way. And that's why I'm, I have uh, not just the podcast feed that I've got, I've also got a, a private one, a paid for one, a subscription service where I do more every Monday morning and then some hypnosis downloads and things like that because my values are in, I guess it's in helping, inspiring, educating. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's okay to be flexible. It's okay in 10 years' time for my, my values to be somewhere else because I'm on, okay, I've done that now, on to the next thing. Because if we... If we have our values on something which is which can be taken away, like if somebody says, my values are to be a good parent. Okay, you can be a good parent, but you know, your kid's five years old, and in 20 years' time, you're probably not going to see much of them because they've come out of uni and they've got a house of their own and they've gone. Mm -hmm. If that's your only source of pride and pleasure, you're going to be stuffed. So we do need to change where our focus is and our values at times. Even though our sort of mission statement in life, it needs to change as we change. Richard, if you could have like one message in a billboard and this is all that people remember you by, so just a few words, what would it be? Wow. <laughs> no pressure. Wow. Just a few words. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Okay. What would I like? Um, a billboard that says Richard Nichols. <laughs> But no one's going to know who you are. If that's, that's right. They're not I. So I, I guess if I could be remembered for anything. Yeah. Or just like be, one, what one message would you like the world to know? Yeah. Be grateful. Appreciate. That's nice. Yeah. I think that sums up on, if that was going to be any, my mission statement that will carry me throughout life, it's, it's appreciate. Be grateful. Yeah, definitely. Richard, that was just really refreshing talking to you there today. Really enjoyed that. Yeah, it's lovely. Thanks very much for having me. Richard, do you want to tell people a little bit about your book and where to connect with you? Yeah, absolutely. If you want to hear more about me, you can go to richardnichols.net. You can find my book, 15 Minutes to Happiness, in all good bookshops. It's there on Amazon. Just put Richard Nichols in and there it will be on Amazon. I'm on Twitter at Richard Nichols. You can find me on Facebook if you put my name in. I'm also on Instagram as well. So you can find me everywhere. You're all over the show. All over the show. <laughs> That's great, Richard. Thank you so much now. Lovely speaking to you. You take care. All the best. Thank you. Bye for now. Bye. Bye. I hope you really enjoyed that conversation with Richard. All his details are in the show notes. If you really enjoy these podcasts and would like to support it, you can become a Patreon of the podcast. I'll leave a link in the show notes below it. It's just a little donation each month and it really helps contribute to the growth and success of this podcast. And to say thank you, you will get access to an exclusive weekly guided meditation. Thanks so much for listening.